Hi everybody and welcome to the Cultivated Podcast with me, your host Rob Lambert. So I was lucky enough to go away on a retreat, a weekend away in a very, very small Airbnb to record these podcasts. This season, the first season, is all about how to be effective and productive at work. I'm very much looking forward to bringing you season two, which is about creativity. Now, I will say this tiny Airbnb was right next to a main road with some very loud motorbikes, so occasionally you may hear their exhausts. I do hope you enjoy this. Feel free to check out the website at cultivatedmanagement.com. Hi everybody, it's Rob here with the Cultivated Retreat Podcast and in today's episode I'm going to be talking about the 10 behaviours of effective employees. Now 99% of these podcasts were recorded on the retreat. This one wasn't, this one was actually recorded after the retreat but it was one that I wanted to put into the series. And just for clarity I forgot to mention that when I'm explaining the five different aspects of behaviours in here, this is using the manager tools definition of behavior. So massive hat tip to those guys. They're phenomenal. If you're not already listening to the manager tools podcast, definitely give it a check out. That's manager-tools.com. You can grab a free book, uh, The 10 Behaviors of Effective Employees from cultivatedmanagement.com. Without further ado, here are the 10 behaviors of effective employees. Picture the scene. It's around about 2010, and I'm in Tallinn, Estonia, in the medieval, beautiful square. I'm sat, people watching, having a couple of drinks, on my own, waiting for the rest of the conference delegates to turn up. There's two kids playing football in the square, kicking the ball to each other, trying not to knock out any tourists whilst they do this. Of course, there's tourists there taking pictures of the beautiful medieval square. There's restaurants that are full, there's bars that are starting to fill up, there's couples with ice creams, there's families out for a stroll. I'm soaking this up, having a couple of drinks, really enjoying myself. Then, to my surprise, I turn around and find that the bar that was quiet when I went into it is now absolutely rammed, and much to my horror, it's filled with a group of bikers. Men and women all dressed in biker gear, enjoying themselves, having a few drinks. You know what, I'd had a couple of drinks, I was full of this thing called Dutch courage. So I turned round and I tapped one of them on the shoulder and he turned round and he stood up. Now, I'm tall, 6'2", 6'3", but this guy was freaking massive. He was at least 10 foot tall and he looked straight through me and said, what do you want? And in my deepest, most assertive, most influential voice I could muster, I said to him, I'd like to buy you a drink. It went down well. I was welcomed to the group, bought a round of drinks. I heard stories of love and loss and antisocial behavior and road trips and just great, great evening. Until in the corner of the square appeared a sight that made my stomach churn. It was a rival biker group. Tigo, the guy who I'd uh, tapped on the shoulder and bought a drink for, was from Finland with his Finnish biker group. And over there in the corner was a rival group. Tigo stood up, as did everybody else in the bar. The square fell silent. Restaurants shuttered up. Tourists moved on. The kids scuttled away. I stood up with Tigo. I knew what was coming next. I'd previously had the right skills and the right experience, mostly some money and the ability to have a few beers, 
But now came the hard work of being part of this group. We had to fight for our right to drink beer in this town, in this square, on this evening. I'll be honest, it was round about this time that I no longer wanted to be part of this group. I didn't have the behaviors to actually do the work. So I tapped Tigo on the shoulder and I said in my deepest, most assertive, most influential voice I could muster, I'm going to the toilet. And I did just that. I walked into the room, past the actual bar itself, past the toilet. I went out of the back door and I ran back to my hotel room crying. You see, when it came to the reality of being part of this group, I didn't have the behaviors. I had the skills. I seemingly had the experience, but I didn't have the behaviors. Now I tell this story because I see the same thing happening in the world of work. Okay. With less alcohol and less bikers and less fighting. And actually I should caveat this story that actually it was just a bit of a show. There was a biker convention, lots of different groups all turning up for a good bike convention. So no fighting actually took part. But I see the same thing in the world of work. So I see people focusing intensely on their CVs, their skills, their LinkedIn profile, but not focusing on the real thing that matters in the workplace, and that's behaviors. So this is about character, it's about behaviors. So when we were hiring 100% year on year, we were inundated with CVs, 600 plus interviews we did. We were inundated with amazing resumes, amazing LinkedIn profiles, people that had seemingly every skill that you could imagine. But when it came to interviewing for behaviors, when it came to working out how people actually behave in the workplace, there were very few people who met the bar. Now, behaviors are really important. Why are they so important? Well, essentially, the behaviors are the culture of your organization. So when people talk about shifting cultures in an organization, essentially what they're talking about is shifting behaviors. If you have a toxic work culture, you have toxic behaviors. If you have an amazing work culture, you have amazing behaviors. If you have an agile work culture, you have agile behaviors. Behaviors are the culture of an organization, which is exactly why I focused my entire career as a manager and as a leader on exhibiting the correct behaviors, but also managing based on behaviors and of course, interviewing. So behaviors are the culture of an organization. So let's have a quick look at what behaviors are. Now, for me, behaviors are the five things we're going to list here. They're the words that people use because the words we use, they affect other people. They influence other people, either good or bad. The way we describe work actually influences the way that we approach it and the productivity and the results that we get. Our language is very, very important. It says a lot about us, but it also influences and changes other people. The next aspect is how they say it. Are they meek and conservative when they should be forceful and assertive? You know, do they have great ideas, but they just shy away and can't communicate them? They say the right things, but it doesn't come with that gravitas, that persona, that presence. So the way that we say things is really, really important. So for example, are we aggressive and dominating? Do we shout people down? Do we say things that aren't actually that hurtful? but we say them in a way that has impact. I've got three kids and I'm forever saying it's not what you've said, it's how you've said it. That's a great example. So the third thing about behaviors is actually our body language. Is it congruent 
with the words that we're using and the way that we're saying things. So those three things have to be congruent. You've probably spoken to somebody whose words seem okay, the way they're saying them seem okay, but their body language is off. You just don't trust this person. You don't believe what they're saying. So that's an aspect of behavior. Now we're going to move on to actually their actions, the things that they do, the way that they carry themselves, the actions that they do day to day, the work, the energy, the enthusiasm that they bring. Okay, So this is the actions, the things that people actually do. Now, the fifth aspect of this is their work output, those things they actually produce. Is it timely? Is it of good quality? Does it meet the requirements? Is it what we asked for? So there you go. You've got the five things about behaviors, what people do, what they say, how they say it, their body language and their work output. The interesting thing about behaviors is you can actually study them. You could write them example behaviors that we expect. You can interview against behaviors. So you're always looking for behaviors. And as a manager, you can ask for more. You can measure behaviors. You can study people's behaviors. They can form part of the performance review. They can be nudged, which is the important part. Give people feedback about behaviors. But an important aspect to remember is nobody can change anyone else's behaviors. All you can do is influence them. So the words we choose will influence how people respond to it. Our body language will influence how people react, their behaviors. So all we can do, either if you're a manager or a leader or anybody who's setting an example, is you've got to realize you can't change other people's behaviors. All you can do is influence them, ask for more, give people feedback. So that's why behaviors are important. But the key aspect that I mentioned just briefly there was we have to role model it, which brings me on to the 10 behaviors of effective employees. First off, I should caveat, I haven't seen anybody demonstrate all 10 of these, but I have seen some people demonstrate maybe seven or eight to such a high quality. They are remarkable employees. Equally, I've seen people exhibit only maybe two or three of these, but to such a level that they are exceptional. They're unbelievable. They're so valuable to a business. I've been a good boy tonight. Can I please just have an hour on Fortnite? I promise I'll do my homework right, but you can just have a quick blast on Fortnite. I've been a good boy tonight. Can I please just have an hour on Fortnite? Fortnite, 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 Fortnite. Behaviour number one is effective employees are visibly passionate, so show your passion in a positive fashion. Now, come on, that one rhymes. I like that one. It's good. Effective employees, they are visibly passionate, but in a positive way. We've all worked with those people who are visibly passionate about all of the wrong things. They hate the mission, the vision, the business, the execs, the product, the customers. They often hate themselves. I mean, these people are horrible to work with. And the only people that they attract are people who are also negative about everything else. And pretty soon you've got this gossip circle. You've got this spiral. You've got this group of people who are bringing down the team. Effective employees don't do that. Effective employees, they are passionate in a positive way about the work, about the customers, about the vision, the mission, the values, about themselves. Now, the reason this behavior is very, very important is we need those inspirational people, those people that can lift us up when we get down, those people who attract talented, passionate, positive people to them. We want to work with them. You want as many of those people as possible. They're the people that go up on stage at conferences and say how amazing it is to work at the organization. But also in the workplace, they're positive about some of the opportunities and challenges and problems because all they are is problems 
are just an opportunity to make the business better. And effective employees are insanely positive about making the business better. We want to work with them. So I'd encourage you, go forth. If you're not positive about the where, the sort of world of work that you're in, about the product, the mission, the vision, the values, the customer, then either make something positive out of that, change it, make it better, or find somewhere where you're going to resonate with what the business are doing. Trust me, I meet a lot of people who are just frankly in the wrong company. Once they move to a company where they believe in the mission, the vision, the execs, the values, the customers, then they really shine. So behavior number two is to become aggressively open-minded. So open your mind, be aggressive in action, but towards people, be kind. It's a bit long, that one, isn't it? It does rhyme still, but you know what? Give me some feedback on that one. So I don't use the word aggressive very often at all in the workplace. The workplace has no place at all for aggressive behavior. There's no need for it. It doesn't actually work long-term anyway. But when it comes to being open-minded, it's a very, very beautiful word to apply to it. And I'm going to share with you a quote where I actually nicked that aggressive bit from. It seems to me that beliefs about the future are so rarely correct that they usually aren't worth the extra rigidity they impose and that the best strategy is simply to be aggressively open-minded. Instead of trying to point yourself in the right direction, admit that you have no idea what the right direction is and try instead to be super sensitive to the wind's of change. And that's from Paul Graham, great investor, brilliant blog. I'd encourage you to go and sign up paulgraham.com. He's an expert. He's an investor. He's led startups. He's done some amazing things. And even he's not sure exactly where he's going. But instead, what he's doing is he's listening to the world around him. He's opened his mind. He's not fixed on any single one way of doing something. And the best employees are the ones that have preferences but actually they're going to open their mind to different ways of working. And that is a powerful behavior. So behavior number three, draw a frame around yourself, but don't be restrained by this. So draw a frame, but don't refrain. That rhymes. It's good. Don't refrain, draw a frame. Yeah, it rhymes. So what we're saying here is people are not bound to their job description. So almost every company has a job description. It's kind of like a HR requirement. And sometimes it includes some behaviors and a competency matrix and you know, all these different kinds of things. But let me ask you this. In your day-to-day work, when was the last time you consulted your job description? Probably never. You also can't codify the entire work that somebody does into a job description. It's nigh on impossible. But what effective employees do is they draw a frame around themselves and they draw a frame and say, this is my job. This is kind of what I'm going to do. What they don't do is then see a problem between job roles and just ignore it because it's not in their job description because trust me from a leader manager and business owner perspective almost all of the unique problems the problems that accelerate your career the problems that accelerate the business they are found between job roles they are the problems and the areas and the domains that nobody technically owns and what it needs is it needs employees it needs people to look at that gap handovers, you know, bridges between work. Any time that we're passing work to somebody else, there's an opportunity, a rich, fertile area for you to grab hold of some of those problems and solve them. And here's the interesting thing. Of course, the business gets better because we are solving problems that nobody else is. But you get better as you take on new responsibilities, you solve new things you've never experienced before. It's a wonderful What I'm not saying here, though, is take on other people's work. If there's a piece of work sat there that's not getting done that should be done by somebody else, I'm not saying you pick that up. That needs raising with your manager, raising with the person who should be doing it. 
But what I am saying is that you should be looking for those problems outside of your role and then bringing in the ones that make sense. And of course, don't bring in so much that you don't actually deliver what you're paid to do. That would be crazy. The whole world of work is full of problems and they exist usually between departments, between job roles, between people. Moving on, become company smart right from the start. This means widening your awareness so that you will be surprised less often. This means going into an organization and studying and understanding the system of work. It's about working out who's helpful and who isn't. I mean, let's face it, every organization has those people who don't contribute much, bring down the team, and sometimes actively try and stall other people's careers. Sad as it is, but I've seen this many, many times. So your job is to get company smart, to understand the vision, the mission, the values, and get behind them, support them, be visibly passionate about them. It's about working out where does work come from? Where does work go to? And then understanding the system of delivery so that you can pull levers, you can spot bottlenecks, you can understand how that organization works. The more you do this, the more you will be able to pull those levers, understand your role, and then solve problems. It's also about understanding how people interact, who's influential, who isn't. And the best way to do this is to build relationships, is to introduce yourself, say hello. Now, I know that's harder for some people than it is for others. But again, it's about developing our ability to be effective at work. And sometimes that means looking at those weaknesses that are holding us back and making them a strength. Get Smart is all about understanding the world. It's about widening your awareness so you'll be surprised less often. It's about understanding the company financials. It's about understanding the market. It's about understanding the problems, the pressing problems that are affecting your executive team and then understanding and preempting and looking at how that's going to ripple through the organization and affect your work so that you're ready, you're prepared. You might even be able to get a head start. You might even be able to boost your career by working with the executives to head off, to mitigate, to solve some of those problems. Next up, a very, very effective behavior that I see in the workplace a lot is people who understand deeply their customer and they build their processes, their technology, their solutions, their value to satisfy the customer because frankly, without the customer, you have no business. And this is really about understanding what the customer values and then building your world of work to align with that because the customer is really, really important. Now, bear in mind, you might actually have multiple customers. You might have people who buy the product or service who may not be the people who use it. So you've got multiple customers. You've probably got internal customers. You should really look at all of your executives as internal customers, your shareholders, your chairperson, because they are expecting something delivered. You are playing with their money. So it makes sense to understand what it is they're expecting and then deliver that. And sometimes you might actually have a misalignment between what the execs want, what the managers want, what the chair people want and what the customers need. So this is about using those skills that you've got to bridge it all together and build value. But the key thing is understanding who your customer is. And one thing I always encourage people to do is actually draw a picture of your customer on the wall and then work your way backwards through the entire delivery process to them. We'll come on to that in a minute. But that's a really effective way of putting the customer at the heart and center of your organization. So effective employees, they always work out who that customer is and they do everything possible for them. Who do you work for and how do they keep the score? The next behavior is all about improving 
the process now. I'm gonna tell you a little story here, and this story is very real. Went into an organization, and I was asked to support and help the customer support team because frankly, they weren't meeting any of their targets. Customer satisfaction was falling, and this team simply weren't delivering. So what do we do? We improved the process, and how do we do it? Step number one was we stapled ourselves, metaphorically, not physically, to work items and we followed them through the process and we mapped it out on the wall. We grabbed another work item, we did the same thing in case it followed a different path, which sometimes it did. And we did this for enough work items where we were able to work out the process that the work went through. And we mapped it up on the wall and we gathered the executives and the leaders and the managers and the team around this and we showed them the awfulness that they had designed. Now that's the key part here, they had designed this piece of work. And when we dug into why they designed it in this way, I mean, it had 14 different stages and it took on average anywhere between three to five days for a work item to travel through this. So you imagine customer rings up, got a complaint, got an issue, five days, you could be waiting. So when we dug into how they'd actually managed to come up with these like 14 or 15 different stages, here's what happened. We realized that actually the trigger for it was a request from an executive for a report. They wanted a snapshot report once a week that told them how many cases were in each queue so that they could actually reprimand or actually reward the departments that had the fewest cases. So what happened? They ended up deconstructing all of the work so that they could actually niche it down per team. Hence, they had 15 different queues. And then what they did was they started to take a snapshot report at 4 p.m. on a Wednesday. So you can imagine what happened at 3.55 every Wednesday. Cases were bouncing around all over the place, not because they were being worked on, not because they were traveling through the system correctly, but because people were trying to push them out of their queue. They didn't want to be the team with that largest queue, so everything was moving around. And here's the important thing. Nobody wins in this situation. The staff don't win because they're spending their time bouncing stuff around or getting told off if you're the unlucky person that at three o'clock has the most amount of cases in your queue. The customer certainly does not win in this situation. It's crazy. I mean, the customer's losing, really is losing in this situation. But the execs also don't win because that report they asked for is wrong. What we did was we actually stapled the work, we looked at it, we removed all of the unnecessary stages, we got rid of that 4pm report and instead created a trending report, which is more important. Snapshot reports, pointless. Trends are what you're looking for. And then what we did was we whittled down the cases and the queues and we got it to simply four different stages. Case comes in, goes out, we got the average time down to about two and a half hours from three to five days. And all we did was staple ourselves to the work. We improved the process. And the key thing is, is once we'd improved it, the team then followed it. Are we nearly there yet? No. 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 Are we nearly there yet? No. Are we nearly there yet? No. Are we nearly there yet? Yeah, go ahead. Effective employees, they do what they say they're going to do. If you make a commitment, keep going until shipment. So effective employees, they are 100% focused on their word. If they say they're going to do something, they do it. If they can't achieve it, they'll raise the awareness, they'll communicate, but they will take on work and commit to it. But the important part here is they won't take on work that they do not believe they can achieve. Sure, it might be hard, it might be difficult, it might be a challenge, of course, that's what we want. But they're not going to take on the impossible. And that's where behavior number 10, bravery, comes in about standing up and saying no. So what they'll do is they'll commit something, they'll do it, they'll be trusted. 
And as a manager and leader, what you want is people who you can rely on, you can trust to get the job done. They'll do the work. They'll put in the hard work. They will commit to it and they will keep you informed. The next behavior is about communicating well. People ask me which of the 10 behaviors I would put the most emphasis on and it's definitely this one. I'm only going to share with you one tip because frankly communication is vast. But I reckon if you can improve your communication, you will be developing a superpower in the world of work. I studied communication at school, college, university, and I still study it today. My university lecturer was a world-renowned communication specialist. His lectures were amazing, as you could imagine. And one thing really stuck with me, and this is what I teach now, and it's actually fundamental. So I'm going to share this one tip with you. All communication has a purpose, an audience, and a context. So the more purposes we have, if we're trying to inform, persuade, educate, you know, convince, whatever our purpose is, the harder our communication will become. If we're trying to affect many different people, shareholders, stakeholders, customers, suppliers, staff, managers, you name it, the more audiences you have, the harder communication gets. And then there's the context in which it happens. So next time you're communicating, think about this. Don't try and be efficient and solve loads of purposes with loads of audiences in loads of different contexts. Instead, niche down, narrow down. Now, what it might mean is you have to communicate several times in different mediums, for example, like an email, a face-to-face, and maybe a meeting with the whole team. So be it. Communication is hard. We've got to put in the hard work because what we're trying to do with communication is be effective first, not efficient. Once we're effective, then we can start looking for ways to make it more efficient. So remember that purpose, audience, context. Next time you're about to send an email, who are you trying to affect? What are you trying to affect them with and in what context? And the context, think about it, it could be gender, religion, race. It could be a very difficult part in your company history. Maybe you're making lots of people redundant. Maybe it's a time of growth. It makes a huge difference to the message and the medium. Okay, so think about that context, really important. Not too long now, we're nearly there. This is about adding skills to skills to skills. I'm going to rattle through this one because Actually, this is pretty straightforward, but develop skills to pay the bills. A little bit of a Beastie Boys uh, reference there, if you've caught that. So I'm going to give you a quote from Scott Adams. If you don't know who Scott Adams is, you probably actually do. He is the creator of Dilbert. And in his book, How to Fail Almost Everything and Still Win Big, he shares this brilliant quote. If you think extraordinary talent and a maniacal pursuit of excellence are necessary for success, I say that's just one approach and probably the hardest. When it comes to skills, quantity often beats quality. Now, what he's saying here is he was never the best cartoonist, never the best employee. He's not the funniest person on the planet. But when he combined all three things together, he created Dilbert. Now, I've seen the same thing in my career. I've known people who've become specialists and spent 10, 15 years studying a particular subject. And they are insanely valuable, insanely in demand. But it's been a really hard journey. They had to almost 100% know that that's exactly what they wanted to do. Me, on the other hand, I've got a core set of skills and I'm going to share with you T-shaped people. So imagine uh, a capital T with a a a horizontal bar and then a vertical. Now, the vertical is the core skill. Now, for me, that's leadership, it's management, it's those sorts of things. And then we think about the horizontal bar across the top. That's uh, vlogging, it's speaking on stage, it's communication, it's teaching, it's writing, it's all of the things, marketing, leadership. It's all of the things that I can bring to that core to make me a T-shaped employee. A T-shaped employees are generally a lot more valuable, a lot more capable of solving a number of different problems that pop up in a business. 
But of course, sometimes you're going to need a specialist, somebody who knows that subject so intensely that they are remarkable. Now, I'm not going to say which one's better. For me, it's the skills, skills, skills. For some people, it might be that niche, professional, follow the path, 10 years of deep study until you become an expert. Up to you. But I will tell you this, that I always look for T-shaped employees because actually the world of work throws up a vast diverse set of problems that actually you need people who can adapt quickly and I generally find that the generalists the t-shaped with a core skill but a series of things across the top they generally are more adaptable and then finally behavior number 10 be brave be courageous whatever word you want in here now I get some flack when I use the word brave I don't quite know why because to me it is bravery bravery is standing up for what you believe in it's about protecting others it's about helping those that struggle to help themselves it's about challenging illegal, immoral, dangerous, stupid, oppressive behaviors in the workplace. And trust me, there are a lot of organizations that have some horrible, horrible behaviors. And the effective employee is somebody who is able to challenge that, to stand up for what they believe in, to help others. It's not just about behaviors, it's also about strategy. So, you know, I've seen some awful strategies from leaders, people who probably really should know more about strategy than they do. And they try and roll it out and it's not going to work. And they need brave people to stick their hand in and go, actually, hang on. I'm not convinced this is going to work. Now, of course, if you're going to be brave, then it makes sense to combine this with effective communication. So you can have presence. You can control your body language. You can influence through all of the behaviors to do with communication. Don't just be brave. Stick your hand in and say you're an idiot. I don't agree with you. Actually, you're wrong. You've got to do it in the right way. And sometimes we've just got to be brave and stand up against really, really awful behaviors. And frankly, in the last few years of consulting, I have seen some awful behaviors from people who are leaders and executives. And it requires bravery, courage, whatever you want to call it. So go steady, tread carefully here. You don't want to ruffle too many feathers. But at the same time, combine this with effective communication and you will be a very, very effective employee for an organization that's trying to do the right thing. I should add that caveat. So there you go. There's the 10 behaviors of effective employees. I'm just going to rattle through them very quickly just to summarize. So number one, be visibly passionate in a positive way. People are attracted to people who are passionate about what they're doing. Be aggressively open-minded. Do not close your mind off to how the world is changing, to new ideas, to new concepts, to new methodologies. Number three is draw a frame around yourself, but don't be constrained by it. And then number four is you've got to become company smart. What's the vision? What's the mission? What's the values? Get behind them. Understand how the business works. Get a systems thinking view of the business so that you know which levers to pull. You can understand the consequences of your actions. And then number five, learn who your customers are. Number six is improve the process. We've got to be doing this constantly. Staple yourself to those work items. Metaphorically, please, no physical stapling. Map them out. Look for bottlenecks. Look for things that are missing. Look for problems. Gather leaders and managers to that map and then show them the world in which we have designed number seven do what you say you will do this builds trust it makes you effective and it also makes you very 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 employable because people like to work with people they can trust they also recommend people they trust and then number eight is communicate learn those communication skills purpose audience context start there is the basic building blocks of good effective communication and then number nine add skills to skills to skills or Become an expert. Up to you. My advice, skills route. Okay, and then number 10 is be brave or courageous. Stand up against that illegal, immoral, dangerous, oppressive, stupid, 
behaviors that actually the workplace has more of than it really should have. But combine this, please combine this with effective communication. Thanks everybody for listening to the Cultivated Retreat podcast season one. If you want to join the mailing list and get goodness to your inbox every Wednesday, then check out cultivatedmanagement.com. You'll find all sorts of other stuff on there, resources, books, articles, links to the YouTube channel, links to the Here's an Idea Worth Playing With audio series, and of course the online communication superpower workshop. Until next time, bye-bye.